When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Welcome to Bear in Mind, the official podcast of Cal Athletics. Here's your host, Todd McKim. Welcome to Bear in Mind, official podcast of Cal Athletics. Uh, thanks for being with us this week. Uh, podcasts have been uh, increasing numbers week after week. We appreciate you listening each and every week. We try to get you behind the scenes with uh, some of the key players here and coaches at Cal. Joining us today is what I'm going to call the most interesting man in college basketball, Tim O'Toole. Tim uh, has uh, been in a lot of interesting places, uh, grew up on the East Coast to Fairfield, coached at Fairfield, Syracuse with Jim Beheim, Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, was at the United States Military Academy, and then has been out here on the West Coast with Stanford and now Cal. I mean, you talk about, I don't know if you can be as divergent, Tim, <laughs> in the stops that you have been or anybody has been when you talk the U.S. Military Academy and then like Cal. Stanford. I mean, I don't know, Tim, that you could have opposite ends of the spectrum like like this from anybody else, but appreciate you being with us. And I, I want to start with your time at the United States Military Academy because uh, whenever I talk to you, you just have a great appreciation for the time, the experience, and the memories that you had at Army. I really do. It's a it's a it's an amazing place, and I grew up fifty minutes south of there. And, uh, and just a quick introduction. Um, we were just talking uh, prior, but when I was 13 or 14 years old, I went to West Point, uh, played Iona in basketball in New Rochelle uh, one January afternoon. And Mike Krzyzewski was the coach of West Point, and Jim Valvano was the coach of Iona. And Jim Valvano and Iona, those teams were great back in those days. Anyway, West Point came in and back in those days, again, I'm looking like the late 70s, 
uh, there was a height requirement where no one could be over six <laughs> five or six six in the military academies. So Army comes down there, didn't have any tall guys, plays Iona in a great game. They lose, but I was mesmerized by West Point, and I I was writing a lot of letters back then to colleges, to pros, anybody that would give me drills on how to become a good hoop player. And one of the things I saw was that this Army team played unbelievable man-to-man defense. And my letter to Coach K that night was, uh, besides you, you, you lost the game, you got screwed on a block charge called by the <laughs> officials, um, but do you have a camp I want to learn how to play D like your team did? And sure enough, three days, uh, you know, three days out, three days back, I get a, a brochure to Army's basketball camp. And I go up to Army's basketball camp, and this was amazing. Uh, a couple of cool stories there, in my opinion, and then we'll get into the academy. Um, when I get to the academy, it, this is the first time I ever went away to camp by myself. Right, I was a kid. I took my $185 of caddy money, put it towards the, the camp, um, and now I'm alone. And, and Coach Krzyzewski must have saw me scared out of my, my, you know, my, my tail there. And he beelines and introduces himself to my mom and my dad and me. And uh, then – He's talking to my dad. My dad was a former coach, so they were, you know, they had a lot in common. He then takes us to the O portion of the registration. Then, as we're still talking, he then grabs my bags and and carries them up four flights of stairs at Lady Cliff College to our room. He took me to my room. I bring this up because my mother, rest her soul, when I got into coaching, she said, "Never forget what that man." She called him that man <laughs> did for you because you're going to have a chance to impact kids in the future. Blah 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 blah. But that was my first experience at West Point was going to Coach K's camp. While we were at camp, and again, I was just, I was a kid, he remembered why I wrote the letter. And every day at lunchtime, so Monday through Friday, the camp goes back to lunch. He kept me back and had me play with the coaches and the cadets, the plebes, the 18-year-olds that were there for Beast Barracks, blah, 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 that had their hour break. And now he's p- literally pushing, like, uh, you know, putting me in the proper position on where I should be, where the ball was the whole week. And I remember like it was yesterday. Because I ended up getting a scholarship to college because I was a pretty good defensive player, and I learned it really from Coach K and, and my dad. But it really helped me a great deal. As the years went by, I started, you know, I, I went to Fairfield on scholarship, blah blah blah. I always kept in, co- in, in touch with Coach Shevsky for whatever reason. Um, and then as 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 the career started to build, and I, I got the job at Fordham, um, he was very instrumental. Anything I can do to help you, please let me know, Timmy. At Fordham, I worked in the Lombardi Center. And uh, Vince Lombardi, that would be, he played at Fordham. And so this whole idea with, with a young coach and studying Lombardi was always fascinating to me. My next job, as you know, as fate would have it, was at West Point, And that's where Lombardi was with the great Red Blake prior to being with the Giants and then eventually the Packers and the rest is history. But when, when I finally got to West Point as a coach, it was not only the great Vince Lombardi, the great Red Blake. You had Heisman Trophy winners, Blanchard and Davis football. Bob Knight was there. Bill Parcells were there. This was like coaching mecca and really what you, you you were with was these young men and that just were absolutely the hardest working human beings you've ever seen in your life and every time that you went to post at west point and, and west point is a military post right so you had to go through the mps every day but as soon as you entered the gates of west point you felt leadership i don't know how to describe it but everywhere around you was leadership. And one of the really cool things about West Point, I could talk about it all day, and so cut me off whenever you want, but West Point was founded by a guy by the name of George Washington. Uh, he's on the dollar bill. Uh, you might have heard of him, that him and this guy Thayer, 
uh, they they picked this spot along the Hudson River because it was the narrowest part of the Hudson River, and it was strategic against the British or French or anyone else. They put this chain, a massive chain link from one side of the river to the other, so any British ship that was going to come up the Hudson would get its hull ripped out. Uh, so anyway, it was very strategic, but. Our country's not that old, so you felt this presence around you every day. And the green suits are what the the the, 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 the students called the officers. And uh, every day at, at 6 o'clock, it's either 5 or 6, I forget now, the national anthem was played. And everyone on post had to stop. I mean, that was mandatory. No matter where you were, you were in your car, you stopped. If you were playing a baseball game, everything stopped. And that's when the, the anthem was played and they would, they would take down the flag for the night. But you just have this feeling of uh, there's leadership. And not only that, but I was a civilian. As a coach, you were you were the person responsible. And these, these cadets looked up to you as a leader. And so you, A, had to know what you were talking about. You had to be respectful. You had to be aware of how intelligent they were. Um what they were going through, what it was life, uh, the life of a cadet, getting up every morning at 5.30, getting ready for inspection. Six o'clock was breakfast. 6.30, these guys were in survival swimming, close quarter combat, uh, the most physical, challenging stuff you could ever imagine. They took 21 credit hours a semester. Everyone minored in engineering. By the time you got these guys back at 3.30 for practice, they were all dead tired. Uh, They were always sick and hurt and tired, blah, blah, blah. But you saw these guys give every ounce of energy that they had into trying to be great. And then also, the, you know, the whole, the, this misnomer, like these kids all took tremendous, uh, tremendous amounts of ethics classes, morality classes, because they're, they're young people are thrown into these hostile environments, and you got to make relatively ethical and, and moral decisions in a rapid pace where, where there are dangers all around you. It was just a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating place. And, um, Boy, I wouldn't have traded in for the world. Oh, a great experience uh, that a lot of us would have loved to have some kind of experience like that. Uh, you also coached with Coach K for a while at Duke um, at a time when you know they're you know they're they're going pretty good. Obviously, um, what was it like being around a program like that at Cameron Indoor? The vibe, the atmosphere. The energy, the excellence in basketball at a place like Duke. No, it, it, it's it's amazing. It was like be, it was like Christmas morning every day. And I want to kind of backtrack it because I, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I was a kid, and, and this is a labor of love. So you you weren't making any money, and you're kind of just grinding your way through it. And I would go down to camp every summer because coach would let me come back down. And one summer, Coach Beheim, Coach Carlet, PJ Colesimo, this guy Joe Harrington, uh, coached like the Pan Am games in like 1989 or whatever it was, and I saw Coach Beheim. I was from the East, so we played against Syracuse, blah, blah, blah. No big deal. But uh, before I got to Duke, I was at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And how I got to Syracuse was we just got let go at Iona. I was an assistant there. And I went down to Duke's camp. And sure enough, he said, hey, Timmy, is there anything I can do for you? I said, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. There's a graduate assistant or a volunteer position at Syracuse. Would you mind calling? And this is one of the things for all you know for everybody out there. When I left Durham on Wednesday – and got up to Syracuse Sunday for the camp, Coach Krzyzewski already called Coach Behan. And how many times have people asked to do a favor, hey, can you call this, blah, 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 blah. But that was the one thing about Kay. Not only did he take my bags up and my mother was in love with him, 
but he backed it up. He always backed it up. If he said he was going to do something, he did it. And by the time I got to Syracuse, it was a, it was the no brainer. Coach Beheim was like, "I talked to Mike. You're overqualified for the job. It's yours if you want it." And that was it. That was the interview. It took less than thirty seconds, which you know I was shocked. I'm mean, a little kid. And anyway, I'm nervous as heck, sweating bullets, and then the interview was thirty seconds, and that was the end of it. Um, but that being said, so then four years later, I asked Coach Beheim to call Coach Shevsky for that position, and it was amazing because. The year I got there was the year Coach K was out with his back, and they went 13 and 18 or whatever it was. They were last in the ACC, and they wanted energy. Like, things had to change. There was this whole – it was almost like a case study. And um, so when I got there, it was like everyone was on the warpath, and I was scared out of my mind. But that being said, you got to be in Cameron working for Coach K. It's a dream come true. Um you're in this environment where it's it's relatively intense because they won the national championship in 91-92. They went to the Final Four in 94, lost when Grant Hill was a, a junior, a senior. I think he was a senior. Um, and then the wheels fell off a little bit. And then uh, and then when Coach Hurt is back, now all of a sudden there's a lot of doubt. And so Quinn Snyder was hired, who's now the coach of the Utah Jazz. I was hired. Tommy Amaker stayed on. Mike Bray left and, and took the Notre Dame job. Um, and so you had a relatively young – it was almost like a, 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 a case study for MBA students because Quinn had his JD MBA. I had my MBA. Tommy started his MBA. Coach K started his MBA. The whole landscape of college basketball was changing. And really my, my whole platform when I went down there, because I was the restricted earnings coach – back it was a title in the 90s but when i was at syracuse we were one of the few uh programs in the country that had computers this is how this is how crazy life was back then athletic departments didn't have them they were an expense but for whatever reason at syracuse we had computers and this is right right at the birth of the internet as we know it and my point was because i was on the computer i was using excel already i i saw it as a tremendous tool not only for our office but for recruiting and that was back, you know, again, this was all brand spanking new. And I remember going with this proposal to Coach Shesky, like, hey, this can get us ready for the next 10 years to kind of get us back to the top and keep it way up top. Um, because Duke and its academic brand and da 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 da. And I remember we had a $35,000 proposal for, uh, you know, three uh, PCs and a couple of laptops and printers. And you would have thought we were asking for the Taj Mahal. <laughs> Which, it just got ugly fast, but we got them. And sure enough, we had the number one recruiting class in the country my second year there with Elton Brand, uh, Chris Burgess, Shane Battier, and a guy, William Avery. You know, they were all, three three of them were drafted in first round in the NBA. Soon after that, it was Corey McGetty, and then the rest mm-hmm. is history. And uh, But it was just an unbelievable time where you were, you were working your tail off. You were with great, great, great people that wanted to do great, great, great things. The school, so getting back to the cows of the world, where you have academic excellence. They wanted athletic excellence. Everyone was trying to help each other do great things, and it was just a magical time. Um, and don't get me wrong, we were grinding, getting our heads beaten in. We were lucky to – we went to the NCAA tournament my first year, but that was – important because it was a step in the right direction the following year we were ranked sixth in the country and we won the acc uh, the following year after i left they went to the final eight with wojo who's now at marquette and then the fourth year uh, or right after that one was when they went to the final four and that was kind of the team that we had all built and worked with so it was really it was just an amazing time and, and an unbelievable you just learn so much when you were around coach every day um and, and same with coach Bayham and all the other guys i've ever worked for but it was uh, 
it was an amazing thing. A lot of people always ask me, and now I'm doing all the talking and I apologize, but what were, you know, why are Coach K and Coach Bay so successful? And I do believe a couple of things, but A, that they are at the right institutions that mirror their value systems. Mm-hmm. And I say that because we're talking about Coach K first, mm-hmm. was that he came from West Point where duty, honor, and country were everything. You get to Duke, and with academic excellence, they have the honor code. His whole persona fit in perfectly with the institution, and they were able to kind of marry each other as they've kind of marched into the sunset, and he's kind of done the the amazing things that he's done. And the same with Coach Bay. It's Syracuse matches who he is and his value system. Like, he's the 2-3. He's, you know, it's it's more of a kind of a – Coach K wants to be hugging everybody. He wants to be grabbing. It's it's man to man. It's motion day. It's they're they're just their whole programs. They're at the right places. The schools, it, their value systems are, are properly aligned, and they've had great success because I do think because everything has been congruent and um and they couldn't be more opposite as far as coaching styles and they're best mm-hmm. friends. So go figure this whole thing out. I can't, but I do know that working for both of them, they're. Their values are aligned. Syracuse is a, is a you know it's a New York school. It's a private mm-hmm. school. Um, it's a it's a much bigger school. It's just and and his whole his his approach has been much like that where he's a little bit more hands off. He gives them a little bit more freedom to do. So that's the two three. It's not as strenuous as man as far as the rules are concerned. Um, but they're both amazing, amazing guys, amazing coaches. The, the gyms that and then now yeah. it kind of goes to the West Coast, but the Carrier Dome was an amazing, amazing place to play to a college hoop game. Cameron Indoor Stadium is as good as it gets as far as you know you could ever imagine it. a college game. And I was thinking about this even prior to this, this our little talk about Bears in mind. The thing that I love about Cal the most and uh, is the fan base, and I say this because they're the most welcoming and loyal group that I've ever been around. And when you think about Cameron, you think about the crazies and the students and just insane. And that's true. The dome, you're getting 30. I mean, they're them in Kentucky lead the nation in attendance every year. But since I've been at Cal and, and Cal, again, it reminds me of New York cause it's, it's urban and it's so much blue collar, but there's people that want to be excellent around. Everyone is welcoming and the fans are super loyal. And we've been, and as you know, this isn't a surprise. We're getting, we're having a rough, rough year. And, it's a, if you were at a lot of other places, it would be a lot different. But true to form, the Cal, the Cal faithful are, it's Go Bears. And uh, they're special. And, I mean, it, it's really neat because I've been to some amazing places, tremendous brands, work for great, great, great men. And um, and Cal, and, and again, I, I didn't tell you this, but when I was at Duke, Coach, I worked with the bigs at Duke. Coach K sent me to work with Pete Newell and learn from him in Hawaii. Yeah. So I've been a Pete Newell disciple for 20 years. And so to come and literally see his court and walk around in this thing every day is as humbling as humbling gets because I work with the bigs. He's the godfather of all of them. And um, and just what an amazing human being he was. And now, I, you know, I call my home his. It's 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 beyond surreal, to be quite frank. Well, uh, circular in a lot of respects. Basketball can be that way. So you got to throw a ball through a circular piece of uh, tin to, yeah. to score points. But there's so many... Uh, the ties and the connectivity uh, amongst the, the coaching profession is really, really is remarkable. You know, as I look at your office in here, Tim, two two things immediately come to mind. 
Yeah, you see, there's a picture of a bear with a mouth open, about ready to clamp onto a cardinal. Yeah, no, we put some nail polish, yeah, nail, nail polish on the teeth yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> but you've got pictures. Yeah. Of, I assume most of the a lot of the teams you've been associated with, yeah, right? It's all of them except like I, I'm getting the, the yeah. cow bears uh, framed, yeah. and so to give you a little color. Uh, you know, the highlight, if there are any highlights, and there's probably a heck of a lot more low lights, um, but, but without question, the highlights have always been the players and the, and the coaches that you work for. You, you live and die with each other. You, you, you get here early in the morning, you leave late at night, you're hanging, your whole life is on a thread, whether the ball goes in or out. Um, you're trying to teach life lessons to all these kids. And this is my 30th year. And so I've been so lucky to have been with teams and, uh, there was a six-year hiatus in there where I left mm-hmm. Fairfield and I worked for ESPN and did some other stuff, still involved with, with sport. But the, the kids and the, and the coaches are, are the highlights of this thing. And so as you look around, you'll see that, you know, it starts at Fordham and then there's West Point, Iona, and then there's Syracuse and Duke and Seton Hall and Fairfield. And then there's Syracuse again and behind you there's Stanford. And, and then we got the Cal Bears all over the place. Um, and, uh, but it reminds you of where you've been, that you're still here, and how lucky you are. And then, of course, there's always books because that was the one thing. Uh, so, again, I, I've got a, a whole boatload of books on my desk that range from uh, most a lot of different topics. And, and that goes back to the 90s, and you'll get a kick. As I was a volunteer at Syracuse, you had no money. Uh, you're volunteering and collecting unemployment checks. Uh, 526 bucks every two weeks. And, you know, I, I used to go to used bookstores because you, could, you couldn't go out. You, you, you didn't date. You, I mean, you weren't, no one wanted you. You had no money. Um, but so what I would do is I would go to used bookstores and buy books for 25 cents or 50 cents and go back and read at night. And, um, and then I, I listened to these, these Tony Robbins tape series. And then one of the things was um, I was going to read a book a week. And then you figure out how am I going to do that and how do you plan it out and figure it out. But then it became, all right, these were the topics. Because I was in athletics, I was going to read an athletic, you know, something in sports and leadership. And then it was, okay, uh, I was in the business world, so, okay, I'm going to read a book on business. I was at West Point, so military history was in there. I do believe psychology is very important when you're working with kids and you're trying to help them become better. And then the fifth was classics. And so a lot of people say, what do you read? And, and it's usually, it's non, it, none of it's fiction. Um but it was like, how can I get better? How can I help the guys I work with get better? And so then it went from every topic onto the sun. And then it's kind of morphed into that over the last, you know, however many years it's been since I, I did that tape series. Um, but that being said, so a lot of times, even when I'm, t- when I'm talking with the players, we'll start yapping about something. And then I'll say, well, have you read this or have you read that? And like Jacob Arinder just read The Boys in the Boat that he grabbed in here. And he just read another Dale, uh, an Ogmandino book. But that's kind of what happens once you get – because the reality of what happens is everybody associates you deal with these guys in their sport. But what we do is the magic when we get them in this office. And then you realize, hey, everyone's got weaknesses. And if you can help them overcome some of their weaknesses, then all of a sudden their bond grows. And that was always my – I lucked out because when you find out who these kids really are, if you can help them with something, then they become your friends for forever. And uh, they don't know it at the time. You don't know it at the mm-hmm. time because you're yelling at each other all the time. Um, but and a lot of times school is that thing, you know, because again, they're 18 to 22, you know, again, you think about it, when you come to the number one public institution in the world, there's a lot of really, 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 really smart people in there. And if you're not that guy that's, you know, coming up with the next cure for, you know, children, you know, uh, brain cancer or, uh, the next, you know, internet craze, or you feel like, man, I don't belong. 
And so a lot of times, oh, you do belong. You're trying to help them get their sea legs in school and life and basketball. And then hopefully they'll have, you know, tremendous amount of success moving forward. And so that's kind of what the, the books that are, you know, the Yankee years with Joe Torre. And- you got Joe Torre, you got Nick Saban. You've got uh, Jerry Tarkanian. West Coast. You yeah. got the yeah, – right, yeah. Uh, yeah West Coast. Right Ken cool. Dryden. So you got hockey involved there. William James. William James. Okay, Darren Greatly is, is a book about the soul. And there's another book called The Seed of the Soul that's in there. Of Course of Miracles is one of my favorites. That's a mm-hmm. Jesus book. Unlimited Power is the guy Tony, Tony Robinson. Robinson. There's another Isaac, uh, Isaacson book on – uh, on Ben Franklin, there's a book on Michelangelo right there, Jerry West, and um, been to the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, we were the Sistine Chapel a few years back, and then uh, Lencioni is one of my favorite authors, and he's a Bay Area guy, but he wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which for anybody that deals with teams is, <laughs> especially if you're yeah you're part of dysfunctional teams, we all get that. Um, there's uh, the dictionary because we all need that every now and then. But um, so is it from these books or just you know through COVID? You're known for for um, if if you ever got on Jeopardy, <laughs> and the category was quotable quotes. Yeah, my understanding is you probably run the table there. I mean, you got a f- couple of favorite quotes that you have that you oh, go tours oh that God. you use. But I'll tell you while you yeah, think of that, I'm, I'm going to give you my dad's best uh-huh. one. This is the one I he, he was an attorney. He was a civil attorney, but occasionally did defense work, and he had to defend. Uh, it might have been a drunken driver, and, and he got up in front of the court and said, you know, Your Honor, it, it's easy for the prosecution to make these accusations against my client. They have witnesses and facts. All I have is trickery and deceit. <laughs> he actually won the case somehow, yeah. some way. So that that one sticks in yeah. my mind. So now that we've given, given you a chance to go into the library, oh, what, what are yours? Oh, God, where do we even begin? Um, all right, so there, again, uh, let, let's just start with Les Miserables. Okay, there's a, a big part of the book, and um, and it starts in the very, very first few pages when the the archbishop he became he became the bishop was he was a priest at a parish, and he is going to see the archbishop, and lo and behold, Napoleon walks in, and this is the guy that eventually influences Jean Valjean and saves his life, but as Napoleon walks in, and Victor Hugo put this. Napoleon looks at him, and then he looks at the bishop, and he says, who is this man that dares l- even look at me? And the, the priest says, I'm sorry, this is the Grand Emperor, but before me stands a great man, and before you a lesser, may we both benefit. And that goes back to what Shakespeare was saying that, you know, uh, in, in some way, every man is my superior. And I do believe that's like coaching. Like, you got to realize, hey, at some point, these kids, like, you, you're, you're going to put them on a pedestal and you got to let them know, hey, man, I'm looking up to you, but, you know, hopefully I have an idea of what I'm doing too. And mm-hmm. so that it's not the authoritative, I'm the coach, you're the player thing, because I don't think that ever works out well. But that's one of my favorite from Hugo on, like, hey, man, before you stand a great, uh, before me stands a great person in Utah, before you a lesser, may we both benefit. And I, and I do believe that. The art of war when I was at West Point was another thing that, man, again, when you were at West Point and you dealt with the cadets, and you had all those green suitors in this. Like they wanted you to win. There was no losing. They didn't care about you know academic requirements and whether you didn't have anybody over six five or six seven. And you know, uh-uh. and so because in, in the military, losing means death. So mm-hmm. I mean, it, it takes on another level. So there's a lot of stuff from the art of war. But one of the things I always say that when we're dealing with teams was and strategy. And so for the players and even our coaches here, 
if you know yourself and you know the enemy, for ev- you fear not the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but you do not know the enemy, for every victory received, you shall also suffer defeat. And if you don't know you and you don't know your enemy, you're going to succumb in battle every time. And I do believe that even for as you're coaching, it's like, it's easy sometimes to know the other team, but you don't know your team. Or I know my team, but I don't know them. And, and so if you want to be successful, you have to have a firm handle on who you are and who they are, and then you're off and running. Uh, one by Lombardi was always, uh, the virtue of, of all achievement is victory over oneself. Once you know such victory, you shall never know defeat. And that's a big one used with all these guys because it's, um, it is when you're tired. It's even like for us right now. Like someone asked me the other day, like, I got a little upset uh, at the end of the UCLA game. And um, and the reality was you see your team, and we were down 20, and a couple of calls didn't go our way, and you saw them want to put their head down, and it's like absolutely not. Like we are here, we're going to fight through all the adversity that we have to deal with because one day they will pay dividends. And we don't see that right now. We all want to cry. We all want to blame each other for everything. But heck no. This is I'm, We're not serving you as teachers of young men. No, we're going to learn. We're going to deal with it. We're going to fight our way through it. But come heck or high water, we're not putting our head. Because the reality, that's not Berkeley either. That's not excellence. That's not um, anyway. So that whole thing about the virtual ball achievement is victory over oneself. Once you know it, once you get the doubt out, well, then you're going to stick your chest down. You're going to march around and, you, and you're going to kind of, you're going to bring heat to the situation to hopefully be successful. Um, and then I'll, I'll give you the last one and I'll probably screw it. Well, two more. <laughs> And I'll probably screw this up because I haven't used it in a long time, but this was by Ralph Waldo Emerson, um, and it's what is success. Success is to laugh often and and much. It's to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children. It's to appreciate beauty, to see the best in others, and know the world is a little bit better because you are here, whether it's by a, a healthy child, a guarding patch, or a redeeming social condition. To know that one life has breathed easier because you have lived, that is to have succeeded. And I think at times we can kind of get all caught up in like, what the hell is going on here? And I'm a loser. I'm no good, blah, 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 blah. But then when you really think, what's your definition of success? And then, you know, when he breaks down, well, if you can laugh often as much, you can, you know, you can help people along the way, you're going to be okay. And then the last one, and then I'll stop because I get long-winded. But this is another one of my favorites, and you do this with teams quite often. And it's by Rudyard Kipling. This is the law of the jungle, as true and as clear as the sky. The wolf that shall adhere will prosper, and the wolf that shall break it must die. As the curdler climbs the tree trunk, the law runneth forward and back, that the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. And when you think about team sports, and this is another one, like, oh, no, I, it's not my fault, it's yours, Todd, you weren't there to help all that other crap. No, 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 no. The wolf, it can be, yeah, he, he's tough, but he's only tough when he's traveling around with them other 15 guys that are really hungry and howling and getting after things. And that goes back to that whole message with teams, like, no, no, we need to play like a pack of wolves. So anyway, so yeah, you're right. I will comb through these things. <laughs> I'll find it. I'll try to get excited with it. Um, I'll shift demeanor. I'll slow down. I'll, you know, I'll keep playing around. Oh, I'll, I'll give you one more because this was, my brother Brendan, and rest his soul, and I remember saying this, but this, all the guys on our team have heard me say this to them as well. And this is by Shakespeare, that all of life is but a stage, and all the men and women are merely actors playing many roles, each consisting of seven acts long. And what they don't understand is, like Darius McNeil today, like he made a couple of faces after he threw a pass and 
blah, 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 blah. And it didn't go where he wanted it to go. And I said, that's, it, it ends today. Never again. We're going martial art for the rest of our lives. We're not showing any weakness because, but like, no, 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 no. Like, it's like, we have to know what role we're playing at that time. You are the point guard. You are a leader. You have to be right, wrong, whether you believe it or not. You have got to hold this thing together. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to miss shots. You got to act like you're George Patton, that it doesn't really matter. Bullets are whizzing by my head, but I'm sticking that chest out. Not one of those babies is going to touch me. Like I'm Teflon right now. And then that goes back to that Shakespearean thing. Like, like what hand am I wearing? Am I, am I Timmy O'Toole the father? Am I Timmy O'Toole the coach? Am I Timmy O'Toole the friend? Am I Timmy O'Toole the, the ESPN guy? Am I the assistant coach? Am I the head coach? Am I the GA? Am I the volunteer? Like every role is different. And we put on different hats. And, uh, some might call it schizophrenic. However, <laughs> we're, we're, we, we got the good Lord will help us figure that out one day. But anyway, so I do try to grasp often from literature and other, really other, ma- the, the kings. Who are the kings that we can learn from that we can help share that with these with the guys we work with? Well, at some point in time, you've got to be a motivational speaker, I would think, as well, because you got me fired up. I'm ready to run through that door and do whatever needs to be done, Tim. I'll tell you that. Well, it is funny. When I was at when I was at a coach for a while, I used to teach at Fordham. Yeah. And I, I got to be the only professor that would be sweating by the time the class <laughs> ended. <laughs> I'd be jumping around, yelling, doing push-ups. I'd be, I'd be sweating my, my tail off. But um, Well, you've got great passion, oh, great energy, well, uh, you. and you're doing a terrific job. But we really – I mean, we could go on for hours and hours, and maybe we should do one of these podcasts every week because it's just fascinating. The most interesting man in college <laughs> basketball. We're going to have a commercial for you and maybe a beer sponsor or something like that. Hey, Tim, pre- appreciate it very much. And, and I'm sure we'll talk more down the line. You're the best. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, pal. All right. Tim, more Bear in Mind as we continue after this. Welcome back to Bear in Mind, the official podcast of Cal Athletics, uh, segment number two. We're going to have Justin Howell, the women's gymnastics coach. Sixth campaign has done a terrific job. The Bears uh, – now consistently in the top 25 year in and year out, have some of the best gymnastics teams and individuals in the country. And this week, Justin, you finally get to host a home meet after being on the road for about a month as uh, Arizona, another really good team, comes into Hospivalian on Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Just talk about what it's been like for your team to be on the road for the first you know month of the season, now finally getting a chance to be at home. Yeah, um, thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me having me back. We're really excited to be at home in Hoss Pavilion this Sunday, uh, 2 o'clock against Arizona. Um, there is so much parity in the Pac-12 right now. It's amazing. I mean, every time you step out on the floor competing against somebody in our conference, you're going to get a great show, um, and it's going to be a great experience for our student-athletes to compete at the highest level. Um, it's been rough, I'm not going to lie, uh, <laughs> starting with this four-week road swing. Um I think that at, at, at the end of the day, we're going to be better for it. Um, we've learned a lot of lessons on the road. We have a really young team. Um, and, you know, I mean, road meets are always challenging with, with travel and delays. And you can make a lot of excuses. Um, but, you know, we have to be better in that area so that we can go compete in the postseason. Um, and so we've really spent a lot of time prepping for this meet, working on our mental game. You know, our, our, our physical strength is there. Their fitness level is great. Their gymnastics is as good as anybody else's in the country, you know, I think. Um, you know, but but in that moment when you salute and, and raise your hand to the judge, you know, you got to have your mental game um, prepared too. And so that's where we've been really putting our focus as we head into this Sunday. 
you've had some great performances. There have been quite a few meets where you've had the top individual in every single apparatus, but you've also experienced a couple of events where, and that's just the nature of gymnastics, if you take a fall or two falls, it really kind of puts you behind the eight ball. And it, and it seems to have occurred in, in an event for you guys that's early in the competition, so you're almost like climbing the hill the rest of the meets. Yeah, when you're in a dual meet format, the visiting team always starts on the uneven bars. And then you go to vault and you switch back and forth and, and you finish on beam. Theoretically, beam is one of the more nerve-wracking events. You know, you're on something that's four inches wide. We have a great beam team and we actually finish pretty strong on beam and have historically. So that doesn't really bother us too much. Um, the past couple of weeks, we've started on even bars with some falls. And, you know, what happens typically is somebody falls and the next person up feels like, well, I have to be perfect now. Because now all five scores are going to count. You know, we're hopefully going to drop the fall um, out of our six routines we've put up. And now I can't make a mistake. I've got to be too perfect. And that never goes well. You know, you try to be too perfect and you don't do your, your natural gymnastics that you've been training to do. And then you have another fall. And you know, the bad news is we've started off the meet with a few falls on bars. The good news is we've bounced back on the next three events actually really well. Um, and so I think the resolve that the team is showing to be able to handle those mistakes, kind of put it beside them and then finish strong. I know that when we put four events together, you know, we're going to be competing in, you know, where we, where we'd like to be. I'm always intrigued by uh, when I ask like Mike Tatey, who is, uh, is the crew coach and, and some of the other coaches here where you will have a, uh, a bunch of people together in a boat, but in your case, you got six competitors. How do you determine who goes first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and who finishes up? Is it you save the best for last or you make a splash early? How do you go about determining that order? You know, there's a few different strategies. Um, what we try to train our team to do is compete whenever it's time for you to compete. You know, that try not to put that extra pressure on yourself that I'm first or that I'm last. There are strategies um, of building your scores, you know, you always want to have a leadoff that's strong because that, that person is really setting the tone for everybody else. And if that person is, is a question mark in everybody's mind, then again, they may be feeling like they have to put more emphasis in their job that they shouldn't need to do. Um, you know, you'd like to theoretically build your scores throughout the lineup. And sometimes that works. Mm -hmm. You put in your anchor spot. That might be the person who has some of the most dynamic gymnastics and, the judges have put themselves in a situation where they can only go up if somebody delivers a great routine. Um, sometimes, you know, you, you might put your first five up that you know you can really, really count on and somebody towards the back of the lineup that maybe has some new skills that they've been developing and there might be a question mark here or there. And that might take the pressure off of that person because the first five people hit. Um, so it really just depends. Um, I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer. I think the best thing that we can do for our team is just prepare them to go anywhere. And the funny thing is that in their junior Olympic competition coming into college, um, it is random draw. Mm -hmm. You know, pretty much every time, especially at the bigger competitions. So they're really used to going anywhere that they're told to go when they're coming in. Um, it's once they figure out sometimes, oh, my spot in the lineup, you know, um, is 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 really important for some reason um, that they put a little bit of extra pressure on themselves. And so we work hard to try to avoid that. Also in gymnastics, it's one of the sports where um, you don't do necessarily scouting the opposition. I mean, obviously, 
men's basketball, women's basketball, you're scouting what does the other team do, football, you're trying to know what the plays are, this, that, and the other. But gymnastics is one where it's really pretty much just you and you do as best as you can and you, you add up the numbers at the end of the meet and see who did the best, right? Yeah, you know, there is no strategy. You can't <laughs> knock somebody off the beam or, or have them run down the vault runway and block them, you know, which might be really exciting if we could do that. It could be a different, maybe. Uh, it's a whole nother extreme a- gymnastics or something. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, you're, you're competing against yourself. You know, you're just trying to go out and, and, and deliver, um, the best performance that you can. It's an interesting dynamic because it's an individual team sport. Uh, you know, we do have a team competition and that's what it's all about, but it relies heavily on what you have done individually for that routine. Um, you know, so we really just prepare them to, um, to try to get a little bit better in each competition. Um, we focus a lot on keywords you know, tech, technical things that are going to keep their mind anchored so that they're not distracted. You know, one thing that's really nerve-wracking for a gymnast is um, maybe there's a technical d- delay because of television. Um, maybe the judges are conferencing on a score. And so the next thing you know, you're the next person in line and you've been standing there for three minutes, getting cold, your mind starts to wander. So we have to have some techniques to keep everybody focused so that they don't get distracted. So that when it's time to go and the green flag goes up, okay, I'm locked in and I'm ready to go. We have to practice those things in in training every day. And that's one thing that we haven't done well over the past few weeks that we're really looking to make some improvements on headed into Sunday. Well, that would lead me into the instant replay for football and basketball games. And I do not want to go there because replay uh, just drives me crazy. But anyway, that's a topic for another time. Let's talk about your particular team this year. Uh, Tori Ann Williams, obviously the ringleader. She's been around for a couple of years, uh, represented Jamaica in the Olympic Games two years ago, had actually missed the NCAAs, unfortunately, that year because uh, she had to go back and qualify for Jamaica. But talk about her, her consistency, coming off injury, and the fact that she is night in, night out, usually your best all-around gymnast. Yeah. Uh, Tony Ann is a beast. (laughs) I mean, she really is. She's just she is so gifted athletically um, that so many things come easy to her, um, which has been great in, in cases of, of injury, of coming back um, and actually being able to rest her sometimes during the week and know that she can go out and handle her gymnastics. Um, she did compete in the Olympic Games. I was fortunate enough to be the coach with her in Rio. Phenomenal experience, um, and she really, she really did well there. Actually went in with a little bit of a knee injury and, and was able to still have a great performance. Um, unfortunately last season, about a year ago, she ruptured her Achilles tendon. Um, that was really the first major, major injury that she's had, um, and had to work really, really hard to come back from that, not just physically, but mentally to come back from that kind of injury and then go out and pound your body into the ground the way that gymnastics does. Um, we have been thrilled with her comeback, with her leadership. Um, she is the most mentally mature that she has been in her career here. Um, we found out recently that the NCAA granted her a fifth year of eligibility, which she has chosen to take. Um, she's going to double major and, and get to compete with us next year. So we're really looking forward to having her leadership with a really talented freshman class that's coming in. Um, Tony Ann is one of our captains this year. And, um, you know, she's, she's just a great example. And, you know, her gymnastics is, is a show to see, you know, in, in itself. You also, as you mentioned, have a young team. Uh, tell us about some of the youngsters that maybe have handled the transition from club, high school, to now the collegiate level. 
Yeah, we have three freshmen right now that are competing for us and making an impact. We have a class of six. Um, one of them actually just came over from Australia. Her name is Emmy Watterson. She just joined us in December, and we're looking forward to getting her out and getting her feet wet in competition pretty soon. Um, Kiana George uh, from the Dallas Metroplex area um, really started out with a bang, freshman of the week after her first weekend of competition. Um, you know, she's getting used to being a freshman and competing in the Pac-12 and being a student athlete at Cal and navigating through a lot of those challenges. But she's a, a she's a showstopper kind of performer, always has a smile on her face and, and will do great things for us as we continue to go through this season and in the future. Uh, Nina Shank, um, she is a, a local uh, product from Oakland, Head Over Heels Gymnastics, which is down in Emeryville. Um, and, I mean, she's delivered... Nine 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 two five, pretty much over and over for for us on bars, and to be able to do that as a freshman and do it consistently is is pretty phenomenal. And then Alma Cook, who is from down in Southern California, a member of the Polish national team, she has dual citizenship in the U.S. and her family is from Poland, um, so she has that international and and kind of world stage experience that that Tony Ann has and that Emmy Watterson, who's from Australia, also have. Um, She's phenomenal on the uneven bars and, and has a really elegant international look to her that the judges really like, that fans love, and um, you know she's, she's done a great job for us so far on that event. You've got this program now, as we mentioned, uh, amongst the top 25 year in and year out. The past two preseason polls, you've been, I think, 11 and 10, which is a, a great sign that people are recognizing what you've done. What did it take to get here? I mean, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. But what did it take when you came in six years ago to get this program to where it is today? You know, it was really a, a culture shift that needed to take place. Uh, we came into a program that was pretty battered and bruised um, from being dropped and then brought back, having a multitude of coaching changes at the assistant coaching level, just not a lot of consistency. Um, consistency in coaching, but also in expectation and accountability. And, and you know, the, the, the talent was here and the hunger was here. I mean, we walked into a program full of young ladies that wanted to get better. You know, they were tired of not being in the postseason. They were tired of walking into every meet feeling like we're not ready. And the best way to change that is take a look at what are we doing in practice? What are we holding them accountable to every single day? Not just in gymnastics, but also um, in, in school, in their lives, being a responsible citizen and community member. All of those things for me and for Liz to be consistent every single day. I think that's what we have brought to the program that has helped shape the culture to where we are now. It's a work in progress. You know, we have a, a new team every single year and the things that worked for you last year might not work today. And we're learning that I think really fast this, this season, <laughs> but you know what? You, you, you take a look at yourself. You don't stray away from the process, but you, you, you figure out what does this group of individuals need to move forward. And, um, you know, that's what we continue to strive to do. We talked about the Pac-12 being good year in and year out. The, the advantage that you now have coming down the stretch in their home meets is you've got some of the great programs in the country. UCLA and Utah will be at Haas Pavilion over the course of the next month or so. And these are like, this is a non-gymnastics uh, Olympic year. That'll take place two years from now. But it's a great opportunity for fans to come in and get kind of a preview of what the Olympic Games might look like in two years because the quality of the gymnastics, not only from your team, but for the teams that are coming in here. 
Yeah, I mean, the Pac-12 is chock full of Olympians, <laughs> you know, no pun intended there. But, um, yeah, you will, you'll come in and see, you know, Olympians on, on Utah's bench and on UCLA's bench and on Cal's bench and, um, you know, get to watch these Olympic performers perform in the NCAA, which is a totally different environment than international gymnastics. International gymnastics is very serious, um, very intense, um, and, and, and sometimes there's a place for that. NCAA gymnastics is all about performance. You know, it's connecting with your fans, having a great time. So to see that level of gymnastics coupled with that level of passion for what they're doing is is incredible. And so, yeah, come out and watch us compete against UCLA. You're going to see amazing gymnastics on, on both sides. Come watch us compete against Utah. You know, it, it's it's great for all gymnastics fans. We'd be remiss if, if we didn't talk about the current situation for the United States on a whole. Um, a lot of news uh, recently, a former uh, trainer doctor, and uh, people have, have seen enough of that, I'm sure. But also in the process, basically wipe the slate clean with the board of directors for USA Women's Gymnastics. Uh, where, where do you see the future going? The past, obviously, performances have been phenomenal, best in the world. But where, where does USA Gymnastics go from here? Yeah, it's, I mean, this has really been a sad time for, for gymnastics. Um, I, I, I am so I am so sorry for everything that has happened to all of the survivors um, and, and, and other people in our sport, um, but also incredibly proud of how brave all of these young women were to come forward and really to affect change. I mean, this unfortunately, this happened and almost had to happen for the revolutionary change that needs to take place. Um, with the governing body, um, you know, it, gymnastics isn't the problem. There are so many great people in gymnastics, and people ask me, would I put my son in gymnastics right now? Absolutely, I would, because of all the incredible life lessons and values that sport teaches you, and gymnastics is certainly one of those sports that teaches you a lot of life, life lessons. The the deep-rooted culture um, is what's about to change and, and what needs to change um, so that we can continue to have these amazing life lessons and these Olympians and, and medals, but, but in a really, really positive atmosphere where everybody's passion for gymnastics is the most important thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and the, the, the health and the well-being of all of the young participants and older participants, um, you know, so that they, love the sport and that everybody's doing it for the right reasons. And I, I have a hundred percent faith that we will get to that place. Um, you know, and as an, as an NCAA coach, I'm just so happy to be able to continue to provide a positive, a structured positive environment that these young women can come into and continue to build life skills beyond gymnastics and go out and do great things in the world. Yeah. We, we're looking forward to the change, um, all the way around. It's, it's a long time in coming. And it will be coming uh, very shortly now. All right. People that want to come to the meets, we were talking to, before we started the podcast, um, that there's ways that you can get tickets, certainly with groups uh, is a great way to go. Uh, tell us about some of those opportunities that people might have. Um, so certainly we want anybody and everybody coming to our meets. Um, tickets are $5 for youth and senior and $10 for adults. All Cal students are free, no matter what the meet is, unless we're in the postseason because of NCAA rules. Um, But this year we have something exciting. It's called a family coupon. That's good for anybody and everybody. 
they need to go to calbears.com backslash code, C-O-D-E, and it's going to ask you to type in a promo code. You're going to go all caps, and it's Cal Gym Club. So that's C-A-L-G-Y-M-C-L-U-B. Type that in in all caps, and then it's going to take you to a page where you can choose which meet you would like to come to. You can get up to six free tickets for you and your family. You choose the print at home option, print those tickets out, come to the meet, and and there you go. So it's yeah. a great way um, for for families to get to come and get a taste of what we do. Um, you you can do that repeatedly for each of the four home competitions that we have this season. Um, we have a lot of fun promos, a lot of fun giveaways and contests. Um, we have opportunities for, I believe it's eighth grade and below. Um, it's called our Cub Club. You pay twenty dollars. You get a season pass for the meet. You get a nice little VIP lanyard. You get a T-shirt that says uh, uh, Cal Cub Club. And then you get to sit down on the floor during the meet. So you and your family can be right there in the middle of all the action. Um, it's 20 bucks, good for the whole year. Um, so a lot of great ways to come out and, and see gymnastics, support our team, support the other teams. Um, we hope to see everybody there. Yeah, and if you have not been to a gymnastics meet, th- these are really a lot of fun. I mean, there's... The sights and sounds of uh, gymnastics are really unique, and I really enjoyed it. I spent a lot of years up in the state of Oregon watching Oregon State, which had a great program, still wow. still does. Um, and it's just, I mean, they'd have quads where literally now something's going on in multiple apparatus all the time. Dual meets, it's one person at a time, right? Mm-hmm. There's no, they're competing and we're competing at the same time. It's one, so the spotlight is on one particular performer for however long that routine is. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really fun um and stressful and nerve-wracking <laughs> environment. Um but yeah, we go one at a time. So, you know, home team starts on vault, visiting team starts on bars. Um one gymnast goes, um then they turn to the next event. So the spotlight truly is on you. Um the majority of our meets are televised on the Pac-12 network. We run our Pac-12 championships the same way even though there are four teams per session. We still go one at a time um, because as a conference, we really believe that that's the best way to showcase every single athlete. And every athlete gets to be on TV that way too. So um, it's pretty cool, um, but it's something you have to learn how to be comfortable with. And as a freshman coming in, in that environment, sometimes your eyes can be a little bit wide. I could understand how that would go, that's for sure. Maybe hear and see more than you should hear and see. Hey, Justin, appreciate the, the time you spent with us today. Good luck this week against Arizona and subsequently down the road as well, and we look forward to continued success. Thank you so much for having me. I hope to see everybody out starting uh, this Sunday, 2 p.m., and go Bears. You got it. Justin Howe, women's gymnastic coach, he, national coach of the year two years ago, multiple times regional coach, multiple time Pac-12 coach, so the Bears uh, in good hands with Justin and his outstanding staff. All right, that does it for this week's podcast. We appreciate you listening. Great stories from both Justin and Tim O'Toole who, um, again, I call the most interesting man in college basketball. Thanks uh, for listening this week. Have a good weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week on Bear in Mind, the official podcast of Cal Athletics, and go Bears! This has been Bear in Mind, the official podcast of Cal Athletics, with your host, Todd McKim. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation.